What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with another NBA team look ahead. We're on to the Sacramento Kings. And so that, of course, means that I need to bring on the one, the only, Greg Wissinger. You can follow him and should follow him on Twitter, at GWiss. That's at G-W-I-S-S. He is an editor for the King's Herald. That's a fantastic website. There's a lot of great writing that comes up over there. Uh, following Greg for so long has put me on to a bunch of the good writers that are there as well. So I've been able to follow them. They, they put out immaculate King's content, just like the vibes that are coming out of King's training camp at the moment. The most important question of the podcast, though, Greg, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I mean, it's it's preseason. Nothing can go wrong. Everything's going to work. We're overhyping ourselves on how deep the Kings team looks, just like we do every single year before they let us down. So this is the best time of the year for us. <laughs> I got to say, I'm still thinking about the Mike Brown roar a lot. That was one of my favorite things to come out of the early part of training camps for the NBA. Absolutely. It's moments like that that make me so happy. We're getting back to like traditional scrums again, as opposed to just like sitting up at a, a podium, you know, it's like, you don't get those moments when a guy's sitting at a table surrounded by like 20 reporters. <laughs> no, not at all. That's the stuff we've missed out on the past, I guess, two training. Mm-hmm. Was it two training camps or was it? I don't even yeah. remember. Yeah. Something like that. Um, speaking of Mike Brown though, I think that might be the, the best place to start. Uh, what did you think of the Mike Brown hire? So when the initial list of Kings coaching candidates came out, it was originally like a list of seven or eight guys. Mike Brown was kind of right in the middle for me. He wasn't the guy that excited me the most. Uh, that would have been, you know, guys like Darvin Ham or, you know, some of the younger guys, you know, maybe not as known or proven, but of the quote unquote retreads, Mike Brown was definitely one of the better ones. And if they wanted a coach with experience, I think that they did a good job. They got a guy who has a lot of experience does a good job relating to players comes from a lot of really successful programs and coaching trees. And, and the players all seem to be responding to him really well early on. Of course, things can always change once the season starts, but yeah, I mean, at the time it was not the most exciting, but when they got into the interviews, they also were really kind of their second round of interviews was all the tenured guys, guys who had been around. And at that point, I was a lot more excited about Mike Brown than some of the other options that were on the table at that point in time. So uh, no, I mean, Mike Brown was not my top choice, but I'm perfectly happy with him. Definitely better than some Kings coaching and searches have gone over the years. And it seems to be, like I said, good vibes at this point. So hopefully that continues and he can kind of take some of those winning habits from other places and apply them here. Yeah. Uh, were you surprised, like you said, the second round of interviews were all like the retreat guys. Were you surprised, though, that they went this route of sort of the known coaches or been there, done that coaches rather than going with like a first timer or someone who was just deemed like off the beaten path more? Not necessarily surprised because the Kings have consistently for years now gone with what is the most win now, you know, so they're not taking the upside swing, the raw unproven guys. I mean, you know, going from the draft to coaching to, you know, all the way down the line, they've tried to win as quickly as possible. And it's a reasonable thing to think that if you're wanting to win now, you want a guy that you know can win at the NBA level. And so again, it wouldn't have been necessarily my top choice, but it also makes sense through the frame of that the Kings are operating which is something as a covering the Kings, I've had to kind of differentiate those two for a lot of years. Like how would I be approaching this versus 
does this make sense in the context of what they're trying to do right now? I think he makes sense for the team because he's going to give a damn about defense. And mm-hmm. kind of the question here is, I just want to know if you had any like themes you noticed from the offseason or takeaways from the offseason, thoughts from the offseason on an overarching level that are sticking with you leading into this year. Because Matt Moore um, of Action Network put it best to me. He was like, De'Aaron Fox, Sabonis, plus a fuck ton of shooting does make a ton of sense. And so like, mm-hmm. is that just sort of the prevailing theme from the offseason? That's the model that the Kings decided to follow. Absolutely. I mean, the biggest issue, especially as soon as they made that trade, you know, when they traded for Sabonis, they got rid of Halliburton and Buddy Hield, which were their two best three-point shooters. And it was like, okay, now we've got a, a speedy fast guard who wants to get in the lane. We've got a really talented center who operates mostly kind of high post. It's like, okay, you need to have shooters around that. <laughs> and the Kings had none. I mean, they were still not, those two players were still okay in the limited time they had after the deadline, but yeah, it, the overall model needed shooting, and they definitely went out and got that all around them. I mean, Keegan Murray, Harrison Barnes, Malik Monk, Kevin Herter, like all those guys can shoot, open up, space the floor a little bit. So that seems very clear. And then just kind of going back to the coaching search, all the guys that they went with in the second round of interviews were all the defense-focused guys. Like Mike D'Antoni didn't make it to the second round, despite his past success, Like, which – almost seemed a little counterintuitive because obviously they are going so offense heavy with the way they built the roster. Mm-hmm. But I think it does kind of make sense if you're like, okay, we've got a team that's going to be amazing on defense. We need someone to give, get them to give a damn about defense to keep us out of like the bottom five, right? <laughs> like you don't may not need to have the best defense if you've got a really amazing offense, but it also still can't be the absolute worst. Yeah. And I have more specific questions about that, but my gut reaction is if the Kings are like, 22nd or higher in points lab per possession, Mike Brown might belong in a coach of the year discussion at that point. <laughs> so I just look at this personnel and who is there, Davion Mitchell, and then who's the second best defender on the roster after that? Well, the problem is they have guys that are good defenders, but guys that are so far down the roster were like, will they make the training camp cuts? Like right. they brought in a bunch of extra defensive guys, but of guys that'll actually be in the rotation. Yeah, it's kind of hard to figure out who the second best defender is. It's like, is it Harrison Bards, who's was terrible on defense last year? Is it Keegan Murray, who's a rookie? <laughs> like, you know, it, it's kind of hard to say who is the second best defensive player. <laughs> so I have to ask you, this is the first time we're like speaking, uh, not over Twitter since the DeMontis bonus trade or Tyre yeah. Talburton trade, whatever you want to call it. I was pretty critical of it. And the thing I love about Kings fans, and they might be my favorite fan base to interact with on Twitter because you guys, I don't mean to loop you on the rail, but it seems so self-aware, at least the ones that are also covering the team in addition to rooting for them. And you take criticism really well, or when you disagree with me, you might say something and it's always just very like positive, even when we don't agree. So I appreciated the reaction I got to being down on it, but where do you land on it now that we've had months upon months to sort of ruminate uh, over it? And I'll preface it finally with this, the fit with Fox and Sabonis from what I watched after that was a lot smoother than I thought it was going to be. And that was with, a roster that did not have anywhere near as much spacing as they do right now. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fair to question the move and it kind of goes back to that thing of, am I evaluating what I would have done with the Kings or am I evaluating how they executed the strategy they're trying to do? Like I probably wouldn't have been eager to give up on Tyrese Halliburton and the many, many years of team control you have over him. Right. That's kind of the, the biggest risk and downside is that, 
Halliburton could grow into all these different things that we've seen the potential for him to be. You have team control for much longer than Sabonis, who doesn't have that much longer left in his current contract. And because of CBA rules, it's difficult to really make sense to extend him. It makes a lot more sense for him to hit free agency. So there's a big risk there. But when we just look at the trade as a, a talent for swap and you know contract swaps and all of that, like I think the Kings got killed a little more than they probably should have. Because I think just in general, we all tend to fall in love with the potential and what a guy could be and the long-term cap ramifications that sometimes we kind of overlook just the talent because as much as I love Tyrese Halliburton, like right now, Sabonis is a much better player and fits far better with De'Aaron Fox. I mean, the biggest problem was that Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox both put up far better numbers when they weren't playing together. So you had to get rid of one and I think they probably would have preferred to get rid of Fox, but the market wasn't there the way it was for Halliburton. They could get much better talent in. And if you're trying to win now, as short-sighted as it may be, that in that lens, that trade makes sense because they did get better now and for the next couple of years. They also built, you know, with the moves that followed, they built a team that makes a ton of sense, on paper at least, offensively, as far as how they all fit and the ages of all the guys. Fox, Sabonis, Halliburton, uh, Murray, Monk, even David Mitchell, like they're all within like two years of each other age-wise. So it's a, a group that is still young enough to have room to grow, but cohesive enough and there's enough experience there where they should be able to do some winning right now. I'm just, I'm just still so perplexed that it came down to they had to get rid of one of them. Is there other stuff they could have done to have made that? You know, it's not even worth rehashing because you're right. Like when you look at the on-off splits of them, like they'd be night and day. I'm just, I look at Tyrese Halliburton's game and I'm just a little bit surprised it got to that point, I guess. Well, and the problem was that, and I think that this is kind of a flaw that gets overlooked with Halliburton is that he is very quick to defer. As talented as he is, if there's anyone else that he thinks is kind of on his level or better, he immediately defers. Like if you look at what happened with the Pacers, when I think it was Brogdon came back from his injury, suddenly like Halliburton stats dipped because he was deferring to Brogdon all the time. That's why they got rid of Brogdon this summer. Like it's, it's just because he's a, a nice guy, a friendly guy, a passive guy. He's not looking for his own game. Even if the team's like, please look for your own game a little bit more because you're really good. Um, and so playing him alongside Fox, he wasn't going to be as aggressive as he needed to be. Fox is going to struggle because he needed the ball in his hands more. And after the trade in various interviews, Halliburton, Fox, and Davion Mitchell all said something to the effect of like, there were three of us that all needed the ball in our hands and we knew one of us had to go. Like there was everyone in the locker room knew it. Like it, it wasn't that they didn't get along. There was no like infighting. It was just that they all knew like our games don't mesh well enough. Uh, so what did you make of the Sabonis Fox fit through, through what we did see uh, for a few games last year? I mean, it was some of the most fun I've had watching the Kings in years. And I'm really excited to see what it can be going forward. I thought it was smart that when both of them kind of had some minor injuries, they just shut them down and didn't try to, you know, run it back. But I'm really excited to see how it goes this year, just because Sabonis is by far the best player Fox has ever played with. And the guy that can help unlock different levels to his game, because, you know, Fox can be ball dominant, but then he can still dump the ball off to Sabonis and then 
Sabonis will find him again, you know, because Sabonis is such a gifted passer and rewards cutting and sees the angles and all of that where it can unlock that way that the Kings could use Fox's speed where they really haven't been able to before. Yeah, that was the one thing or one of the things that I noticed during the games they played together is that Fox was like, felt like he was moving more and with just more mm-hmm. spirit and purpose. And that's just not something I'd accounted for um, when it initially evaluating the trade, which I guess is why we play the games. huh? Uh, first a bonus, though. So he's extension eligible right now. They can't. Mm-hmm. I think the highest starting salary they could offer him in an extension is about like twenty four point eight million around there. Um, is that like when you're looking at that money, I'm assuming it's money that you'd be comfortable giving him if he would take it just because it's with the cap going up. But I think with the cap going up and unless he starts to play really poorly in Sacramento, this is probably a situation. Yeah. He might still resign with the Kings, but he's probably going to become a free agent. This isn't going to be an extension situation, right? That's the assumption just because I mean, the, yeah, like you said, that number is not that big, especially factoring in that the cap will be going up. Like, I don't think he's necessarily going to get a max contract in free agency, but he's probably going to get more than what the Kings could pay him on an extension now. So even if he's happy there uh, and, you know, if the Kings are doing well, he might be happy to resign there. I mean, he doesn't seem like a guy who is seeking out a big market or anything like that. Uh, And he wanted to be in Cali in general, right? There wasn't like a list of teams. He just wanted to be in Cali. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That would be me. I don't care which team I go to. Just send me to Cali, though. Like he bought a house in Napa, like his wife is from somewhere around there. So like there, there's all those little things that we glom onto his fans. Like here's why he's going to stay, you know, uh, it, but it, ultimately it's going to come down to if the Kings are good or not. If the Kings are good, he might stay, especially if his family's happy, he's happy. You know, why wouldn't you? Uh, because at that point, the Kings would be able to offer just as much as anyone else. So it's just, it, does it work? If it doesn't work, the risk is you could lose him for nothing. De'Aaron Fox did his usual thing last year where he makes me question my unending belief in him. Uh, And then he finishes the season so strong that I'm drunk on De'Aaron Fox by the end of it. After that trade, he was at like 29 and seven, 36% Mm -hmm. from three, 50, like 4% or something ridiculous on twos, just sick efficiency. Uh, Was his year, the struggles overblown? I mean, defensively, no, I don't think they were overblown, but like, was the way his season painted, um, overblown was it properly contextualized and what are you looking to see most out of him entering this is this is year six for him which makes me feel really old for some reason because it feels like he was just a rookie no I I don't think it was unfair at all because he really struggled to start the year I mean he started off really poorly and we were trying to figure out why like you know he came in with like a lot of added bulk it's like okay did the bulk throw off his form or slow him down is it conditioning is he just not used to it because he wasn't getting the foul calls he was used to because they were cracking down on some of the the whistle and the paint. So we were looking for all those reasons. And by the end of the season, it seemed like whatever it was, whether he was in bad conditioning or in a funk or whatever it was, he worked himself out of it, but it was too little too late. But the problem is we've seen that more than once. Like He's done that multiple years and it it is really aggravating because yeah, I mean, I think a lot of Kings fans are at that same point where it's like, this is kind of a make or break year for him. Like this team is built to highlight him at this point. Like he's got shooters all around to create space and have outlets to pass to. He's got a big man who can pass and reward him off the ball. Like he's got everything at his disposal. It's really just can he show up and deliver from day one? And he even talked about it in the training camp earlier this week that 
the key is not to get off to a slow start to come out firing from day one. And I do think the biggest thing for him, it's probably become a cliche to mention, but it, it is still the jumper for me. He was at 39.1% on off the dribble threes after the Sabonis trade. I think he was at, or no, he, and then he was at like 37 plus percent on catch and shoots. I'm not saying he needs to be that high, but like that needs to become like, he's always been able to like, we've seen him go on runs where he hits these ridiculous step backs and he's so comfortable working from the mid range, but there's always this topsy turviness to it. Or for me, this, this sense of fleeting where, you know, it's not going to stay like this and it's going to come and go. And I think if you're going to have him work off the ball as much, like the specifically like the set three, I think might actually be the just the biggest thing I'm looking for from him. Is that is that wrong to view it in that in that way? Well, it's funny because if you look at the splits, when he just does catch and shoot threes, he's actually a very good shooter. It's just the problem is the majority of his threes historically have been off the dribble and he's terrible at those. And so it's like he needs to flip which one he does the most. Um, the other thing is, and this is just something that I kind of attached myself to as an idea towards the end of last season. And I think it was a big part of where he found success so much towards the end of the year is he wasn't hunting for threes as much as just occasionally he'd still take them, but he was really working the mid range and he's really good at the mid range. And, you know, when you look at someone like, you know, DeMar DeRozan and what he did last year, where it's like, you know, the traditional logic was he'll never be, truly great because he's so reliant on mid-range and we don't do that anymore mm-hmm. then he comes out and just does it a lot and i'm not saying fox is gonna shoot it from the mid-range like DeRozan or anything crazy like that but i do wonder if maybe there's value in just him taking the shots he's better at and more comfortable with as opposed to trying to force an element of his game that he struggles with and always has i will never give up on his step back three which he also hit at a 41 percent clip to close the year last season so and the season before he was like Hit them in a ridiculous clip. So I still believe, yeah. but I totally get what you're saying there. Uh, Keegan Murray. I, well, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I'm right there with you. I'd love to see that become a consistent part of his game. I'm just kind of at the point where I'm not holding out hope until I see it. Uh, he does look comfortable taking it. Like that's the, I guess he, there's been elements of always forcing it, but it doesn't look like something he's necessarily trying to force all the time. Um, maybe some, maybe more of the in-between step backs than the, the three-point step backs, mm-hmm. but I believe in it. Keegan Murray. I painted the selection of him on the podcast thusly was the Kings were trolled for picking him over Jaden Ivey, but had they picked Jaden Ivey, they would have been trolled because they traded Halliburton only to pick Ivey and still have De'Aaron Fox. There was never going to be just an accepted decision from the Kings. After watching him in summer league, I fell in love just because I don't know a ton about college prospects before summer league. Um, Any overarching thoughts on his fit with this roster and just how much you expect from him, his rookie season, how much are they going to rely on him? Do you view him as a starter? Uh, from from day one I think there's a good chance he starts from day one uh, I think the most likely starting lineup will be Sabonis Murray and then Harrison Barnes at the three uh, I if he's not starting day one I think he's definitely starting by the end of the season I think that what his game is is a perfect fit in so many ways especially next to a center like Sabonis just because Murray can hit the three he doesn't need to be the focal point of an offense to be productive and, and get his numbers. Uh, I mean, even in some of those huge summer league games, it was like, Oh, that's a quiet 27 points. Like, <laughs> you know, as, as quiet as that kind of a scoring output can be. And I mean, Kings fans, we, we are well-versed in summer league. You know, we, we've won it twice. We, we made the shirts for it. So uh, 
dynasty. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we know that summer league isn't everything, but we also know like it's good if your rookie doesn't struggle in summer league. Like that's the kiss of death. We've seen that too many times. Uh, so I think he'll be productive. I don't think he's going to be, you know, the the third best player on the Kings right away. Uh, but the hope is that he could be a guy on a similar level to talent wise to Fox and Sabonis within a year or two. And if that's what you get out of the fourth pick, like that's a huge win, especially when he fits so well with what they already have. I also wonder if his summer league can be more of a harbinger for success than maybe others, because it very much didn't feel like he was in a role. He wasn't going to see with Mm -hmm. the, the adult Kings and Mm -hmm. he was, they had him doing a lot of stuff off the ball and him, by the way, him moving off the ball is like a hot knife through butter. Just Mm -hmm. watching that. Uh, And so it feels like that should translate really well. And I think that's what excites me is the, is the fit between him, Fox and Sabonis and then Barnes just feels like it should be seamless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the question mark is still going to be defense, but kind of going to that point, like Jaden Ivey wasn't fixing the defense either. Like to your point about like there, there was no win on kind of addressing the weaknesses on that fourth pick. So I'm very happy with Keegan Murray. Like I was saying before the draft, like I would have probably picked Ivy just for the upside and all that. But that kind of goes back to the idea of what I would do for long-term building the Kings versus what they're trying to do with winning now. And if you're looking at a guy who gives you the most upside both now, and I think Murray's does still have plenty of upside in the long run. So I like the pick and I really enjoyed summer league and I'm excited to see what he can do with the rest of the actual Kings around him. What are your thoughts on the Kevin Herter trade? I love that trade. I was so excited when that happened. <laughs> like, I mean, Kevin Herter is got legit size, great shooter, like a, a truly consistent volume shooter. And like, it makes perfect sense. I, I won't be surprised if he slides down to the three for some lineups, like, cause he's got the size to do that. And a lot of this might be skewed because I just remember multiple games where he just completely wrecked the Kings. And so I've always probably held him a little bit higher esteem, but uh, no, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was good value. I mean, the, the protections, I think made sense that the big concern is of course, is you're tying up a pick potentially for a long time. If the Kings don't get good and the Kings have been on the bad end of that before where they had picks that didn't convey for a very long period of time and could never make other moves because of it. That's the scary part. But at the same time, they added a really good player without giving up any key pieces in the moment. I disliked it at first looking at the protections on the pick. And then I started thinking about it. And it was like, well, if the Kings are good and that conveys this year or next year, like then you can start moving first round picks again. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If you're bad, you probably don't want the Kings trading first round picks anyway. So it's good that they yeah. theoretically can't promise first round picks. So yeah. now then that when I started looking at it that way, I decided that it was a it was a better move. Are they going to give him a chance to like he can do so much as a shooter and it's like functional shooting. It's like mm-hmm. when we talk about Buddy Heald's functional shooting, like Kevin Herter does a lot of the same things and he's bigger. Are they going to give him a chance, though, to like do stuff on the ball? Because that was an element he brought to Atlanta where he could run situational pick and rolls. It would be a little sloppy sometimes, um, but he can hit like some pull-ups, too. And is that going to be something they – I don't think they need to ask him to do it when you look at who's on this team, but give him a mm-hmm. chance to do it. I have no idea. I, I wish I could Love answer it. that question just because, I mean, with Mike Brown coming in, it's who knows what that's going to look like. It wouldn't surprise me at all just from what we've seen in the past with how Mike Brown runs things and the things he's talked about, 
the lessons he's pulled from the Warriors. Like he's talked about not wanting to have just a stagnant, like pick and roll offense. That is the same thing that everyone else is running every time down the floor, you know, where you run a pick and roll and have your shooters out on the edge. Like he doesn't want to do that, you know, 80% of his possessions. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if he gets creative with some different ways to use guys like Herder or Monk or, cause I mean, Monk, same sort of thing, like legit shooter, but has some ability to do things off the, with the ball in hand as well. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised at all to see that, but I also wouldn't be surprised if we don't see it just because, I mean, you've got Fox, you've got Sabonis, uh, Davion Mitchell, like in all the lineups, there's people that need the ball in hands a lot more. What is Davian Mitchell's role to this team now moving forward? You know, it, it's kind of tricky because he's such a fun defender to watch. Like he's so good on, on point of attack de- defense and he has moments where he looks like he could also be a really great offensive player. Some of the off the dribble looks that he has hit are just like faith in a, in a singular possession, but then it, it, yeah. it invariably dissipates. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in the aggregate, like I looked at his numbers from the like the end of the season, I was like, oh, those were not as good as I thought they were, just given some of the moments I saw. Like, uh, so it's all about if he can find consistency. But I mean, he improved every single year in college. It was normal to expect a little bit of a step back from college numbers to NBA, especially now in a backup role as opposed to a uh, primary point guard, you know, number one option on the team or number two option on the team. Uh, I think the challenge is going to be if he can figure out a way to be productive when he's not the main guy to come in and, and do it right off the bench without having to play, you know, 30, 35 minutes a game, because at least on the current lineup, I don't see how that's happening. Um, and it could be something where if he takes that next step, maybe he makes Deer and Fox expendable, or if he takes the next step, maybe they trade him for something else. Right. I mean, it could go either way, just kind of depending on what they think, that looks like but um it's going to be interesting to see how, what he does year two I'm, I'm excited because just with his work ethic and what we've seen already i'm definitely not counting him out for anything i'm very excited about his potential but it is hard to see exactly where that's going to come from given that he's going to be behind fox most of the time when i look at the roster it does feel like they almost have to default to some kevin herter if not a lot of kevin herter at the three because you have mm-hmm. monk and Fox and Herter and then Mitchell and okay. Having five guards is fine, but like someone could end up being squeezed. If like, that's what you're Mm -hmm. just committed to doing. And if you're still, you're clearly invested in monk. That's why you signed Mm -hmm. him and you traded for Herter and Davion Mitchell's only going in year two. So it does feel like they're going to have to go with, I guess it's not smaller if Kevin Herter's at the three, but maybe, you know, Kevin Herter defending threes is not probably something you want to see a ton, but it almost feels like they have to play him there a bunch. Yeah, and he actually played a fair bit of three for Atlanta. You know, when you look at the lineup info, and and I mean, some of that I, I don't put a ton into that because sometimes it's just based on like height order. And so, the, yeah, yeah, he yeah. was the three because he was the third tallest guy on the team. Uh, but I think there was a, plenty of times when Atlanta did use him that way and had him defending threes. And I think he's probably a little bit better defender than he his reputation is. Um, you know, I don't think people think of him as a. a good or standout defender but i think he's pretty solid and you know he's six seven he's got good length good size like he i think against some of the bigger threes he would really struggle just you know because he doesn't have that weight but at the same time like most 
teams struggle against the bigger really talented threes like it doesn't matter who you have like there's only a handful of guys league-wide that can really lock those guys down and the kings don't have that and they'll have to figure out ways to work around that and live with it so i won't be surprised at all if herder spends a good amount of time with the three and hopefully it won't be a disaster but we'll see. i would i would say if you're going to play him at the three I guess I'm not in love with the Davion Mitchell, De'Aaron Fox fit, but you almost want to have Davion Mitchell at the court in some form if you're going to have Kevin Herter at the three. There's definitely a group of Kings fans that really want Davion Mitchell playing like point guard with Fox essentially playing shooting guard in lineups just to kind of... I mean, the catch and shoot numbers would support that theory, but... And yeah, then you give... You have a really good defensive point guard you know, to kind of cover up the fact that Fox definitely has not been that up to this point. I'm less high on that idea, uh, but it's definitely an idea that some Kings fans are getting into. You know how I feel about Rashawn Holmes, the basketball player. Yes. He is the backup five on this team, which is like the mother of all luxuries. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you view him as part of like the longer term vision of this team or should we expect him to be involved in trade rumors again please just tell me we won't ever see Sabonis and Holmes play together uh, or that Holmes will be given the green light to just start chucking corner threes like he had for a minute <laughs> I think in Philly or Phoenix whatever it was hey, um, the numbers but, say he was good at that <laughs> yeah uh, but it does feel like his future with the team has been complicated by the Sabonis addition yeah, yeah. and I would expect that as long as Holmes comes out and plays well in the minutes that he has like he really struggled for a variety of reasons last year he had a year from hell like on court off court weird injuries all sorts of stuff going on if he can come back and look like Rashawn Holmes of old I think that he's most likely to be traded at the deadline uh just because having his contract isn't a bad contract by any means if he's your starting center if he's your backup center that contract makes zero sense, especially when one of the biggest contracts on your team is your starting center. Like it just doesn't make sense from a roster building standpoint. Like you can get backup center production for a lot cheaper. I get, but like, even with it, like next year of this season, or maybe next season, he's like 8% of the salary cap. So is that really that ridiculous for a backup five in the new cap climate? I, I think mean, it's ridiculous because to me, Rashawn Holmes is a starting center in the NBA. I mean, his push shot is porn yeah. for me. So like, yeah, and I, I've actually thought he's been underrated defensively, but I get, I get what you're saying. If he's that good, and I, th- I can't remember. This is not me saying it. I was either listening to a podcast or reading something where they said he ended up not being happy with the contract he signed with the Kings, and that's either the market for centers was just way more repressed than we all thought that summer, or that's on your agent. Then, man, like I think everyone thought he was going to get more than just the early bird rights deal from them, and I just, I don't. You know, you don't not trade for Sabonis because you have Rashawn Holmes. But I was sort of surprised that, oh, okay, you kept Rashawn Holmes past the deadline. Everything that was going on, I get it. But then he's still on your team to finish the offseason was a little bit bizarre to me. So I think that Holmes definitely got misled by his agent. And that's why he fired his agent right after he signed his new deal. (laughs) Um, Oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, I don't pay for someone who covers the NBA. I need to pay more attention with who's on like whose agency and when players are firing their agents, because unless agents release a statement to Woj about how <laughs> they tried to talk sense into their client, but he wasn't listening. I'm just not as up on the, the agency ties around the NBA. And I mostly only pay attention to the ones with Kings players, but yeah, the agent was like leading up to free agency. He was out there talking about how he was going to get like these massive, like 25 million a year, $30 million deals, which 
everyone's like if you can find someone like go for it and the kings basically kind of called the bluff like and then the market dried up and then the king's deal with the early bird rights was the best deal left on the table and it's like i don't think holmes was mad at the kings it was just more like that was what the kings could offer him and that was now the best deal so i mean i think he was a little unhappy that that was all he got because his agent had kind of filled his head with the idea of getting a lot more um but so i don't think he's upset about his contract at this point but i think he was in the moment disappointed that it that's all it was just i we need to make the kelly Oubre jr for rashawn Holmes swap happen already like that's just a thing that i feel like needs to go down i'm all about it kings could use another three uh or conversely they could use a three <laughs> like i don't view her also yes is a three uh <laughs> So is there any insight or inkling on how this team will defend during its extended use of Sabonis at the five? Like, do we expect more conservative approaches with Sabonis maybe dropping back? I've seen some people mention that he's better suited to play that the Nuggets sometimes use Nikola Jokic, like bring him up really high, let him be aggressive. But if you do that, you kind of need to have like good help or at least defensive playmakers behind him. I don't know. Like, I definitely wouldn't call Harrison Barnes that at this point. I don't know if you view Keegan Murray as that. Uh, just any sense for how this team will defend or what they can do to maybe overachieve on the defensive end this year. I look at the roster. I'm like, maybe it's just rebounding. Maybe they're like one of the best defensive rebounding teams in the league. And that's just something that's able to inflate their standing. But I don't even know if that's just way off base. And I mean, after this bonus trade, they were one of the best defensive rebounding right. teams in the league. I mean, Sabonis so is a game changer on that end. So I think that'll help some, uh, but that's the kind of the million dollar question is what they're going to do defensively. Uh, one of our writers, we, uh, the Kings Herald every year, we do a series in September called 30 Q, which is just 30 questions kind of previewing the upcoming season. It's a good way to fill the dead time of September. One of our writers, uh, Omar Khan wrote a really good breakdown of kind of the defensive schemes that the Warriors ran okay. the last year where Mike Brown was running that defense and just kind of breaking down the different ways that, they played it and how that was different from what most teams are doing and some of that was just kind of you know hard hedging and, and you know kind of disrupting passing lanes more than playing the individual sometimes it was conceding threes to protect the paint more uh, which kind of goes against common wisdom but was very effective for the warriors now at the same time the warriors also have draymond green who's one of the best defenders of the past however many years right so i'm not going to pretend that mike brown can step in and turn the kings into the warriors but if our goal is like be 20th ranked defense instead of 29th like i think that some of those schemes could help right like because you look at the warriors like they didn't really rely on rim protection that wasn't their scheme mm -hmm. like their best rim protector was kevin looney like who sometimes would play six minutes a game like so i think that we're hoping that Mike Brown just kind of schematically can figure out a team defensive concept that kind of covers the gaps, makes things difficult. And again, the bar is pretty low. Like no one in Sacramento is expecting the top five defense. And it's like, okay, if we can have a really great offense and just not a bottom, bottom defense, we'll be okay. Like for our modest goals of playing and maybe the eight seed, like <laughs> that could be enough. <laughs> 
Uh, fair. I, I would love to know if there is someone out there who expects the Kings to be a top five defense. Maybe one of our YouTube commenters, because uh, sometimes YouTube commenters are always good for Kings will be top mm-hmm. top seven defense easy or something. Yeah. Uh, so after the Sabonis trade was made, I called Harrison Barnes mission critical to making it all work because of the way he plays on offense. Now that they have Murray, Monk, Kevin Herter, uh, he is less so to making mm-hmm. that work on the offensive end. And he was... I had to go back and watch. He was pretty bad defensively last year. He still had like yes. some possessions where I was just looked like, oh, Harrison Barnes is moving really quick. And it's like one-on-ones against higher profile dudes. Is he just getting up for those? But he looked like you watched way more of him than I did, but it just, he looked like stiff and like slow at a lot of points. Is that something that you're concerned about moving forward? And is it by extension more likely that he signs an extension or resigns with this team? Or are we back to the cycle of, Harrison Barnes is going to be in trade rumors by the day. And look, some of that definitely depends on whether the Kings are good or not. If they like implode, of course, but just looking at a team that's right now trying to be competitive in the Western conference, um, I offensive fit again, divine, but like they kind of need him to be like, he can't suck on defense for them is my point. No, I totally agree. And last year, it's funny. I wrote an article as part of that, that preview series. Can Harrison Barnes bounce back? which is funny because if you just look at his stat lines, like he had a better year than the year before, but watching game after game, like he was checked out entirely on defense. And I don't know if it was age or in, you know, nagging injuries or just stopped caring. My personal theory is I think he stopped caring because last season was a lost season in so many ways and just kind of a repeat of a cycle that has kind of plagued the Kings year over year, over year. And, I think that we can attribute a decent amount of like Fox's performance and uh, Barnes and guys who have kind of been through that ringer multiple times. Like I'm hoping that they were just checked out and I wouldn't blame them. Like mm-hmm. we all want NBA players to be like gung ho every night, but the right. reality is they're people. And you know, you can only care about defense so long when buddy healed is blowing it <laughs> every third play. Like even if you played your best. So I do think that there's probably a human element. He's probably not as bad as he was last year. He is probably not as good as he was at his peak, which was never exceptionally high. But I I do believe he can be better because, I mean, he really looked re-energized in those games that Sabonis was there. I mean, it was a a short sample size before Sabonis hurt his knee and and was done for the year. But in those games, Barnes looked completely different. So I I still have hope that we're going to get some of the old Barnes. That being said, yeah, I don't think if the Kings are doing well, they're going to trade him. I think that they will kind of keep the ship moving forward. They're not going to disrupt it and take away a key veteran, like a locker room guy and, you know, reliable role player. Mm-hmm. But if they're struggling or if just the right opportunity comes along, a guy who's not a huge downgrade, but maybe has some more upside and longer term, I could definitely see them still going for a move to improve long term, as long as it wasn't a huge step down quality wise for this season who do we trust more as sort of the primary wing checker right now is it harrison barnes or keegan murray looking at that projected starting five is that a stupid question you can also answer it in that way <laughs> it's just so hard to answer just because we haven't gotten to see murray play defense against nba guys outside of summer league like he played really, I thought, really admirable defense against Paulo Banquero in that really good game between the Kings and Magic in Summer League. But it's still Summer League. Like, 
I mean, those two guys were going at it. It was a lot of fun to watch those two. And, and Murray, I thought, did really well. I don't know if that's a good barometer for how he can check an NBA wing, like especially a, a better one. Uh, so I, I have no idea who their go-to is going to be. I, it could be one of those, you know, there's some guys they've got as kind of end of bench guys that aren't expected to be part of the main rotation, but they're defensive specialists. And maybe they just throw those guys out there in those scenarios, you know, just go play defense. Don't worry about anything else. We just want you to pester this guy for 10 minutes and piss him off. Like, <laughs> I will say some, I probably still pick Harrison Barnes. I'm just going to default to the veteran. And some of the most defensive mm-hmm. possessions I saw from him last season, went back and watched was when he was going up against Andrew Wiggins, which mm-hmm. was sort of like a, I don't know if that was a him like, Oh, like this is the, this is the new Harrison Barnes of the Warriors. Like I'm going to get up for this matchup. So I don't know if there's anything tied to that, but you sort of touched upon this. What does this secondary front court rotation look like? If we're going to go Barnes, Murray and Sabonis, I would say as of right now, Rashawn Holmes is going to be locked into like that backup five spot. Then how are you sort of, you know, mixing and matching with the the three, four spots on this team. We've already mentioned that, hey, maybe Kevin Herter plays some three, but you still have, you know, players who are under contract, like a Trey Lyles, but then you have like, oh, is Kent Bazemore going to make this roster? So how do you sort of see that shaking out, that secondary front court rotation? I think that, I mean, based on the roster right now, I think Trey Lyles will get the majority of the backup four minutes. He was actually really solid after the trade deadline for the Kings, kind of like a nice surprise, like, for his contract and for expectations it was like oh this is a competent basketball player and as your backup for your your ninth guy in the rotation like i think he's a, a pretty solid player i think the bigger question is the three and what they're going to do there i don't think there is a clear answer and that's where i think that we're going to see a lot of kind of creative lineup slides where you know you put in lyles and slide murray over to the what three for a few minutes that one I'll leave in there. Basketball All reference right. page goes rosy again, but please continue. I apologize. <laughs> you know, you, you put Lyles in as a four, slide Murray over as the three for a few minutes. And then, you know, next time out, you bring in Herder at the three to to sit Murray. And I mean, there's ways you could kind of manage the minutes. It's definitely not ideal. Or they might just turn out Chimes Mento as a three or something. I have no idea. Oh, man. <laughs> um, I mean, it could be one of those guys that they brought in for training camp. Uh, you know, there's Casey Okpala, there's uh, Chimo Monarchy, there's, you know, uh, Ken Bazemore. Like, Terrence Davis is still on this team. He, he, it wouldn't surprise me if he played some backup three. Like, I think he's a little undersized for it, but there are probably worse options on the Kings roster. <laughs> like, is, um, is there a bigger concern for this roster than that sort of? wing rotation or is that just clearly the the biggest issue for them leading into the season no and that's the biggest thing and i think that's why you'll see a guy like holmes be readily available it's like if there's a team with an extra wing who needs an upgrade on their starting center you can downgrade your starting center and it's not going to be as big an impact just because sabonis is going to play a lot of minutes like it's not going to be as big an impact as if you bring in someone who can play consistent rotation minutes at small forward. I do have, I, I would, do you think they should be involved in the Jay Crowder sweepstakes that are insofar as there are Jay Crowder sweepstakes? It's all about cost. I, I would be very happy if they could add Jay Crowder without giving up. Like, I, I don't want to give up Harrison Barnes to get Jay Crowder. That doesn't make Correct. sense to me. Yeah. But like, if you could give up some of like kind of the, the, like a, 
you know, throw together a package of like Terrence Davis and Alex Len and, you know, something else, you know, and that was enough for Phoenix, just a little extra depth that, you know, I'd totally do that. If they wanted to figure out a framework of Holmes for Crowder, I think Holmes is a lot better player, but just positionally, I, I think that that could even make sense. You get off the long-term money, you create a little bit of future cap flexibility, you improve the wing right away. Like, I don't think that'd be the worst idea in the world. It would probably get roasted and would probably backfire because it's the Kings. But yeah, I mean, I think that it's one of those things they should be kicking the tires on, but they shouldn't be throwing the kitchen sink at. I have some names actually circled for them that were in Crowder that I'm just wondering with this is that I think are cost effective for them or gettable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Richardson in San Antonio, not necessarily a three, but he would immediately become their best three if they traded <laughs> for him. And he was quietly pretty good last year. Also, if Memphis is kind of done with the Dylan Brooks experience, you don't need offense on this team and you might be able to keep his shot selection in check by virtue of having um, more ball handlers, like a better ball handling pecking order or not ball handling, but usage pecking order. When you look at Sabonis, when you look at uh, Fox, I don't know what it would cost to get him because Memphis shouldn't want Holmes, but they should probably really want Barnes. And so maybe you expand that deal. Um, I thought about Marcus Morris senior a little bit. because I thought if you built something around Rashawn Holmes and salary, that's something that could actually work. Mm-hmm. But that's a, we get into the other issue of you really want Mark, like Marcus Morris and Harrison Barnes and Keegan Murray. Those are three fours in <laughs> yeah. my book when you really yeah. look at them. So, but I do think that they're built just having homes and then even some of the middle end contracts that they have. I'm not, I don't want to be a huge proponent of saying, well, this team needs to make a trade before we go to the season. But I really want to see this team like get some actual wing depth because I think that's going to be the pathway to mm-hmm. optimizing the team structure in general. But hey, like maybe we don't need to get so wonky on defense or that's the best way to elevate their defense at this point. No, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely the biggest area that could use an upgrade. And yeah, I mean, like if Phoenix was willing to entertain, you know, Barnes and, and this is where the herder trade gets tricky because you can't throw in picks. Right. But it's something like Barnes and, and something else, you know, in a package where you take on like, take, get back like a guy like Cam Johnson, I, I would be thrilled. I don't think Phoenix is going to do it, but I think that the framework makes sense because the Kings want a young guy who they could build around. The Suns are trying to win now. A guy like Barnes helps that. Like again, I think that's something very unlikely, but those are the types of things that I would be looking for if I was in the Kings front office. They could also, and I wouldn't be opposed to this, just like take a flyer. And by that, I mean like, Hey, the Knicks decided to trade a first round pick for Cam Reddish and still don't Mm -hmm. plan to pay him, uh, play him. So can you make a move like that? I just want to see them like, and maybe there are teams that could just implode this season. Like what happens if Portland Mm -hmm. doesn't pan out is grant and Hart available all over again. Um, I'm still, I'm not sold on Dallas after the off season they had. Does Reggie Bullock become available again? It's lower end Mm -hmm. solutions. Um, Still. um, I really just want to see them get some extra wing depth on this team. You kind of already this, you talked about the starting lineup already. And I love going through what the top 10 man rotation would be for every team before the season. The Kings were among the teams that made me pull my hair out because <laughs> they do have, I think, probably eight locks in the rotation when you look at Fox, Herter, Barnes, Murray, Sabonis, Monk, Holmes, and Mitchell. Like mm-hmm. those, unless you think that any of those guys are in jeopardy of dropping out. But figuring out the final two, like you had mentioned Trey Lyles, uh, Metu had some really, Yeah, so that's nine. Metu had some really good moments for them last year, but all of a sudden, like, we've just decided, oh, we're not going to have any wings in this rotation then. <laughs> 
Like, is Terrence Davis belong in there? Is, do you expect Kent Bazemore or Casey Akpala to make the roster? And I guess that's also part of this equation, not to loop so many questions together. But like, do you have any predictions for like how those final roster spots are going to shake out? Because they have all these fringe guys just sort of floating around out there. Yeah, it's it's tricky. I mean, they've they've really got kind of two different areas for the camp battle piece. And I think that that kind of ties in because sadly, the guys involved in the end of rotation camp battles could also see heavy minutes at the three. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Casey Okpala, uh, Timo Monaghan. I, I think those guys, I wouldn't be surprised at all if one or both of them make the final roster because those are guys that have some ties to Mike Brown. They're defensive-minded guys. Uh, you know, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if the backup three was someone who's not giving you anything on defense or I'm, I'm sorry, on offense, who was strictly a defensive specialist going out there to disrupt wings. So whether that's Okapala uh, or uh, Monica, I don't know which one, but because I really don't know a ton about either player. There's not a, a million hours of film on either one, but uh, neither one would surprise me. And then kind of the backup point guard camp battles. There's Della Vidosa trying to make his NBA return. Quinn Cook's on the roster Quinn right Cook. now. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, all right. Della Vidova is your backup three. Maybe that makes the most sense. At this point. <laughs> I mean, for the Kings, it's like, do you want a back? Do you want a third string point guard who could come in and play a lot of minutes potentially? Or are you more worried about kind of the locker room and kind of coach on the floor? Like, that'd be what more what Della Vidova is at this point. Like a guy with a lot of Mike Brown tenure knows the system could coach guys up, help them kind of veteran leader. Whereas Quinn cook, not exactly young, has some veteran leadership capability, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, he would probably be more productive in, in, in an NBA game today, you know? Right. What's the going to be the go-to crunch time unit for this team? Is it just the starting lineup that you out later? Could you see some tinkering with any of those spots? It depends on if the Kings are winning or losing. Well, if they're trying to win a game. Oh, you think like just like in the game, if they're down by three versus versus if you're up, like, I think those could be, I thought you meant like whether they're trying to win games or tank. And I was like, why are we, why are we in this scenario? How did we get here? We're we're back to tanking. (laughs) No, I mean, I I think that, I mean, I think the, the starting lineup as the default probably makes the most sense. But like, for example, if, if it's a really tight game, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you saw, uh, you know, saw either Murray or Barnes come out, Herder slide down to the three, and play Fox and Mitchell, you know, for Mitchell's defense, especially in a late game situation. I, I that wouldn't surprise me at all. I think that it's really hard to predict just because we don't know what Mike Brown thinks of this roster and who's going to be his favorites and what his rotations are going to look like at this point. That's the biggest question mark because there is a lot of talent on the roster, but it's definitely not perfectly lined up. And so how he makes that work, how he shifts those lineups, that's kind of the underlying question behind it all. Is there a weirdo quirky bonkers lineup that you want Mike Brown to try this season? That I want or that Kings fans want? (laughs) Both. Give me both. I love this is my this is honestly this is my single favorite question. I know it is. I, I know it is. And and we've done this before and ended up seeing those crazy lineups on the Kings. So so we can we can speak them into existence right now. So choose yeah. carefully. So the the big one that there is a definitely a contingent of Kings fans that want to see 
Sabonis and Holmes play together. Which I know are they you, are they masochists? Like yes. what is? Yeah, I mean, right. they're Kings fans, so fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the one I would like to see that I think would be just kind of a fun, weird, crazy lineup is, you know, something like, and it's probably like a bench unit, so it's probably Holmes instead of Sabonis, but like, you know, you got your Sabonis or or Holmes, either one, and then go like crazy small, do like Herder, <laughs> and then like. Terrence Davis and Terrence Davis, like Monk and Fox or, or Davion or something, you know, just something like essentially what really on paper is four shooting guards, you know, all at once, just going nuts. Like I'd be with it. You're going to be surprised because I know you know that I skew micro mm-hmm. in this area and in many others is I want to go big. I want to see Metu with a bonus Keegan Murray, Harrison Barnes, I'm willing to have De'Aaron Fox round it out, but I prefer it to be Kevin Herter in that situation. There's no point guard there. There's no like outside in ball handler you're going to trust, which is why Fox would probably make sense with just, let's call him four bigs around him. Fox plus four bigs is what I want to see. And I'm just like, just see what happens. It's like, it can't be any worse defense. Like if it can't be any worse <laughs> defensively, then you're going to probably end up being, because what is the, I try to go through like, what's the best defensive line of this team look like? And I think a lot of that's just going to depend on what if Fox is like trying or not as stiff mm-hmm. himself defensively, that could change a lot of things for the Kings, but so let's just go Fox plus four bigs or Herder plus four bigs. That's what, that's what I want to see because Herder's six, seven, and he'd be the smallest player in that lineup. I outlined. So the, the problem with that is that Chemez Metu would take the most shots out of anyone in that lineup while they were on the floor. Together. <laughs> you know what? He was shot like 50% on long twos. It was like 14 to 31 or something like that last season. He is, Caps lock floor spacer. Dude, <laughs> Metu, when he's having a good game, he is a lot of fun. And I like the guy. He's a fun success story. Like guy came up from a two-way contract, you know, like, but man, the Kings get really frustrated when he has to play a lot of minutes because he, he does not care if he's having a good night or not. He is going to shoot like it's a good night every time. That just seems aspirational to me. I want to <laughs> have that much, that much confidence. <laughs> As we record this, the Sacramento Kings over under is at 33.5. So as of now, are you smashing the over or the under? And where do you see them lining up relative to the West of the Western Conference this season? Yeah, and I feel very comfortable going over just based on, again, I mean, it was a small sample. I I know that. uh, But the way that the Kings played following the Sabonis trade before Sabonis and Fox went out, they were really good. They were really bad for most of the year before that. Once those two went out, they were really bad again. They still won 30 games. Like a three and a half win improvement with a full season of Sabonis with all these shooters, all with a coach who's not Luke Walton. Like I think yeah, it's baby. A, I think it's a no-brainer that they're gonna win an extra three and a half games. Um that being said, I was a lot more happy when I placed my bet when it was like 31 and a half. So it was like easy money. I'm good. I'm happy with that. But I think it's going to be one of those few times I tell people that the over is a good idea for the Kings. I'm leaning the over myself as well, which is ridiculous because I don't think I've ever picked the over for the Kings. I should go back and look at what we picked last year. But I think they've at- hit the over like one year out of the last 10. <laughs> right. And the other thing is just, when you put the, try to get sense of their pecking order in the West, mm-hmm. it gets difficult when you're really getting into the playoff talk, but there are yeah. four teams 
that right now are going to probably be trying to be worse than the Kings. And 100%. maybe Houston won't be trying, but they, they should still be worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Utah and San Antonio. They're actively trying to suck. And then whom, Oklahoma City without Chet is just like, yeah. so sucks. now all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, you're already ahead of four teams. And so the fifth worst record in the West last year was the Lakers, and they won 33. So 34 there is... Mm-hmm. I'm leaning towards the over. I picked way too many overs through these look-aheads, though, and that's what's concerning to me. Uh, is this – where do you see them lining up in the West? Are they top 10 for sure? Do you have questions about them even making the play-in tournament? Um, do you expect them – should the expectation be that they even make the playoffs, whether it's by way of getting through the play-in tournament or just being one of the top six teams? I will say, and I don't want to, like, shit all over the Kings, but if they're in the top six – in the Western oh, Conference God. this year, Mike Brown better be coach of the year because you start yeah. looking at those, the teams that are just Phoenix, Golden State, Denver, the Clippers, the Pelicans, like those teams aren't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. The Mavericks should still not suck. The Grizzlies are good. We're up to seven teams, right? So if they're in the top six, I didn't name the Lakers, but I'm not going to name the Lakers. So, so yeah, agreed. If they are top six, like, I'm hanging a banner. I'm building a statue. Like I'll fund it myself. Like we'll, we're we're doing a parade down K Street. Like I don't care. Like like, that'd be an unreal exceeding of expectations. Like, uh, I I don't expect that. I think that the Kings are pretty comfortably somewhere in the eight to eleven range. Now, where in that range they are, that's the big question mark. But the thing that we do every year is we kind of run through that mental checklist at the start of the year. And we say, well, they're in, they're in, they're in. And every year, at least two teams completely bottom out for reasons we didn't see coming. Yeah. I don't know which teams is going to be. I can't tell you which teams the Kings are going to pass, but most likely as long as the Kings aren't one of those teams that has something to blow up, which plenty of times they have been like, there's reason to believe like, okay, if right now on paper they're the 11th best team or 10th best team, there's reason to suspect they could finish ninth. Like, because one or two of those teams has an unexpected slip or, you know, things go bad early, they blow it up, like whatever it might be. These things happen every single year. The hard part is when we're predicting at the start of the season, we don't know which team it's going to be. Like, injuries are unpredictable. Uh, Locker room strife's unpredictable most of the time. What's up, Phoenix? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they are the opposite of Sacramento's vibes in training camp. Like <laughs> the when I do look at the West, though, and you're right, like the injuries could definitely impact this. I'm not sold on Dallas or Memphis's short things right now. I think most people are. When you're just taking a step back now, I think it's they have to pass like one team. Is basically what I'm looking at when you mm-hmm. count out the other four. I think their best bets at the moment are probably a Portland or the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Those would be the most likely candidates. I mean. I never want to wish injury on it, but there's a couple of teams in the West that are very reliant on one star, right? That one big injury at the wrong time, you know, early in the season could completely change their trajectory. And hopefully that doesn't Dallas happen. would be absolutely fucked. If anything happens, Luca. I'm not wishing that Luca is one of the best basketball players in the league. I love watching him, but I love Luca. I wasn't going to say the name like, but that's well, I'm just, there's a, a lot pretty, of like, yeah. even the Lakers, they have two stars, but if you look at their roster, that makes no with all the stuff coming out about Russ, their roster increasingly makes no fucking sense right now. It's like, let's load up on guards, one-way players, whatever. So one injury there mm-hmm. screws them. So, well, I mean, who on the Lakers ever gets injured? 
that was I'm still laughing at the Kirk Henderson tweet. Poured <laughs> Anthony Davis out four to six weeks with one shoulder. One shoulder. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. I mean, the the Clippers have a couple of key players that miss a lot of games to injury or or have over the last couple of years. Doesn't mean they will this year, but injuries happen, especially on these star heavy older teams and you know, that can really throw a wrench in things early on. And sometimes if it happens early enough, teams just tank it away. And I mean, we saw it with Portland last year, no one was predicting them to be outside the top eight last year. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, it happens. Plenty of teams will take that opportunity to do a quick reset and kind of steer into the, the slide, if you will. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if that happened, but it's also not a great place as a Kings fan where you're like, all we need is a couple of key injuries and we're in the play. <laughs> I just want them to be organically better than expected. I can't, yeah. if you ask me to pick, if you ask me to say, do I think they're going to be a top 10 team right now in the West? I might skew no, but stuff happens throughout the year. And I really yeah. just want the Kings fans deserve it. I cannot stand um, elements upon elements of the organization. Imagine beating down a fan base so much emotionally that they're chanting for 40 wins outside of a summer league game. I respect Kings fans for doing that because that's an accomplishment. But like, imagine that being like the standard for success. Now I want them to be good. Kings fans deserve it. This roster should be fun on offense. Did I not ask you about anyone or anything related to this roster that you think needs to be discussed before we get out of here? No, I mean, I think we've kind of covered all the bases. I mean, it's really going to come down to, you know, can they figure out a rotation that makes sense and kind of covers the holes in the roster? Can Mike Brown figure out a scheme that makes the defense not be bottom five dumpster fire? Uh, how's Harrison Barnes look? You know, I mean, the the questions are kind of clear. It's just we are going to have to just wait and see how it goes and hope for the best. But it's the m- most optimism and excitement that we've had in Sacramento for quite a number of years. And it's fun. Like, it should be a fun team. And I've watched enough bad teams that if you're fun but bad that's still a lot better like for sure i've I've watched a lot of really bad teams that were no fun to watch so the the incoherently bad teams are the ones that are toughest to watch Mm -hmm. uh greg this was great as normal i appreciate you like always giving me so much of your time for anyone who skipped the intro though uh, are you able to tell our listeners where they can find you and all the great work that you you do or help do however you want to frame that yeah absolutely so um i'm managing editor for king's herald so kingsherald.com and then you can find me on twitter at gwiz uh gwiss and there i mostly just tweet jokes about stuff fantastic twitter follow so i highly recommend following greg uh thank you so much once again and as you know i will be pestering you again in the future sounds good